All right, well, good morning. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to see everyone here this morning. We know that there's many more still joining us online, uh, and we get that. We know that it's a, it's a tough time right now when you're trying to weigh risks and, and uh, different people, different groups having different levels of risk and levels of exposure. So uh, just know that we're still your church family, even if you're watching online with us, and we thank you for continuing uh, to be faithful to gather even virtually as we worship together. And as we study God's Word, uh, your faithfulness is appreciated and, and it doesn't go unnoticed. Pastor Jim, last week he announced our new series, which he's titled World Changers. And he did it by looking at, at what God had to tell us through Paul uh, about world-changing love in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. So Paul started that section uh, talking about love, not just, not just leaving it there. Uh, but then going on to tell us what we can do to make that a reality. Uh, it's easy to talk about love, and, and so in this case, he's wanting us to get a little more concrete. So today we're going to look at verses 11 through 13, and together we'll discover how as a manifestation of that world-changing love, uh, properly directed enthusiasm can also change the world. So this morning, if, if you have your copy of God's Word with you, open it with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the richness of it, for the truth that's within it. Father, I pray this morning as we open it that you would pour into our hearts what we need to, to walk more closely and completely with you. And if there's anything there in our lives, Father, that's preventing us, that's blinding us from the purpose that you've set forth for us, I pray that we would have the courage to do away with it. Father, that your Holy Spirit would invade and would Remove those things that distract us from what you've called us to do. Father, if, those are, if there are those here that are feeling anxious or worried, Father, I pray that your, your peace would reign and that your grace would be sufficient for them even this morning. Father, if there are those of us who, who need to hear a message of repentance for the first time, I pray that it would be loud and clear, that conviction would come and that forgiveness would be had and there would be healing, that we might be reconciled to you. Speak to us now through your word. Speak to us through your spirit. Speak to us through your son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, for just a moment, I want you to, to stop and picture something for me. I want you to come up with the best picture in your mind of enthusiasm. Right? It could be a memory. It could be a, a situation. But I want you to picture that, because when, when I started looking at, at doing this message, I did that myself. I thought, what does enthusiasm really look like? What's the best picture of it? My mind went to something back from my childhood, and so th there could have been any number of things that popped in my mind. It could have been, you know, that you know, last day of classes before summer with kids running out of the schoolhouse and, and just excited about all the fun that the summer would hold. That'd be one picture, but that's not what came to my mind. It could have been that time that... I was jumping up and down about hitting the ceiling in my living room as Sid Bream slid safely into home plate, sending my Atlanta Braves to the 1992 World Series. It was a great moment, but that's not what popped in my mind either. 
What popped in my mind was actually a TV show. That TV show was The Price is Right. Anybody familiar with that show? Anybody watch that? That's, that's what popped in my head from my childhood is watching The Price is Right. And you know how that worked, right? They had this huge studio audience, live studio audience there. And that was, that was the pool from which they'd get contestants for the show. And so the host, Bob Barker, he had that long, skinny microphone. And he would ask Rod Roddy in the back to give him his next contestant. Right, and Rod Roddy, he would be dressed in this ridiculously loud and, and vibrant suit of some sort, and he'd put on that great announcer voice, and he'd, he'd call out the name. Anybody remember what he'd say? Right, he'd say something like this, Brad Woods, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And then what would happen? Right, somebody would lose their mind, right? Somebody would, that camera did that crazy pan, right, across the whole audience and find the person whose name got called, they would jump up, they'd be screaming, crying, laughing, high-fiving, hugging people all the way down uh, to contestants row. And so that, that's what popped into my mind as this picture of enthusiasm. But you know, that, that kind of enthusiasm, it was always kind of short-lived. If you, if you think back to, to what happened right after that, right, what happened, they'd bring out this next item up for bid, and you could almost see on the face of that new contestant, this, the gears switched, right? It went from, I cannot believe I am a contestant on The Price is Right, to what in the world am I supposed to do now, right? Suddenly, they had no clue what a brand new set of pots and pans might cost, and so when they have to give their bid, they're craning their neck, they're looking back, looking for help from all their family and friends, trying to figure out what they should bid in this state of just... I have no idea what to do. So I think that the kind of enthusiasm we see there, it might have been demonstrative, it might have been jubilant even, but I don't think it's the kind of enthusiasm that can change the world. So today we're going to look at three things that world-changing enthusiasm is not, and three things that it is. First thing we need to know about world-changing enthusiasm is that it's not emotional, it's intentional, right? A price is right enthusiasm, that's, that's a response to a circumstance. They've, they feel like they've hit the lottery. This, this is their chance to be a contestant. But the enthusiasm from our passage today, it's a, it's a command. It's commanded by God through Paul. Right off the bat, he tells us what? Do not be slothful in zeal. And that should tell us two things immediately. The first thing it tells us is that we're probably going to end up being slothful in zeal, right? But then the second thing it tells us, it tells us that we can stop being slothful in zeal. I think anyone who's a parent has, has made a statement like this before. I was sharing before my, my daughter. I, I can tell her, Caitlin, don't forget to unload the dishwasher. Right? It's, just, it's simple. But what does that really mean? What, what do my words really mean at that point? It means, Caitlin, I know there's been many times in the past where I've asked you to unload the dishwasher, and it hasn't been done. So this time I'm reminding you to do it, that I expect it to be done. And it's no different here, what we see written by Paul. Do not be slothful with zeal is a command, right? And while we tend to view commands, you can ask my daughter, while we tend to view those commands as burdensome, this command's a little different. This command is actually freeing. It's telling us we have an option to keep our enthusiasm even when the circumstances around us don't warrant it. We're able to have zeal for the things that God calls us to do regardless of our individual personality, 
regardless of the circumstances around us, regardless of any external forces over which we have no control. But I want to pause right here. I want to pause and just take a look at the reason why we're looking at these scriptures together. Right? It's just, it's just three verses, which if you remember from last summer when we did uh, the Minor Prophets, I actually preached on three books in that sermon. So fortunately today, I guess that went a little long, and so Pastor Jim limited me to just three verses so that we could get out of here. But if we, if we read it carefully, we see it's not, just, it's not just some shotgun blast of instructions that Paul is giving us. It's not a, a stream of consciousness that he's thinking, oh, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and oh yeah, this thing, you need to make sure you keep that in mind too. He introduces this section with this command to maintain our enthusiasm, and then he, he continues that theme. Right after that, we get the word fervent, be fervent in spirit. Now that, that word fervent that he uses there, it literally means to boil or to be hot. It's basically telling us we should be on fire for the Lord. Then when he says to be constant in prayer, the idea is, that is not this every moment of every day or every second idea of constant. What it means is persistence. It means remaining intently engaged with something. So our prayer life is to be so consistent, so intentional, so engaged that we are constantly connected to the Lord in a way that strengthens us and gives us the ability to endure any circumstance. Then he comes to this last portion, and he ends it with a command that we should seek to show hospitality. And I think sometimes that word seek, it, it doesn't really carry the weight that it really should. You know, we can read into that thinking, you should keep an eye out for ways that you might be able to help. But that's not it at all. It means to pursue it. It's active, look, actively looking for ways that you could serve. To give you an idea of just how intense uh, he's trying to be here, that the Greek word that he uses there for seek, it's the same one that later on in Philippians Paul will use when he says he presses on. It's an active kind of thing. It's done actively. It's, it's done with effort. It's done with a purpose. And so he's tying all of these things together under the umbrella of enthusiasm. Our zeal should be manifested in our spiritual relationship to the Lord through seeking him in service and in prayer. And then it should also spill over into the relationships that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we actively seek out ways that we can help one another. So it's clear then that, that he's calling us to have enthusiasm. But if we look ahead a little further into the New Testament in his letter uh, to Titus, he gives us an even clearer picture of what the source is for our enthusiasm and our zeal. Here's what he writes, Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Read with me. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, Paul gives us some overwhelming reasons why, why we should have an emotional response of enthusiasm. He recalls this magnificent grace and salvation and the very glory of God that's at work to redeem us. But notice what he also does. He's also careful to use words like training and self-control and waiting. 
I think he does that with a purpose. He does that to show us that our zeal for good works is not going to be fueled strictly by emotion. See, the gospel, you know, God's good news, that we can be reconciled to him through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that is truly our source of enthusiasm. But it, it's not just our often temporary response to hearing the gospel that's going to fuel that. Now, if, you, if you're listening this morning and, and you've not taken that step, you know, if you've not responded to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not trusted him and been to him for forgiveness, then you shouldn't expect to have enthusiasm for the Lord. You're not connected to the source of it. So I implore you this morning, today, let that be the day that you give your life to him. I invite you, taste and see that the Lord is good. Repent and believe, trusting in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus for your sins. And then you will know what all of us who are believers should already know, that spiritual zeal is an outcome of salvation that comes from God. And I think you'll also soon discover that world-changing enthusiasm lasts beyond emotion because it's a choice. It's not simply a byproduct of something that happens to us. Our second observation is this. World-changing enthusiasm is not superficial. It is fruitful. Now, if you're like me, when I asked you to picture enthusiasm, you probably came up with some over-the-top, hyper-emotional, showy type of enthusiasm. That's, that's what our mind tends to go to. And, and that might turn heads. It might make for great television. But I think it will quickly get exposed as shallow once you start to examine its fruits. Remember our, our contestant on The Price is Right? Remember that wave of emotion, once that started to subside, we were left with someone who, who felt inadequate, someone who was nervous, someone who maybe even felt lost. Now, that's not to say that enthusiasm is, is not of any value. Of course it has value, but its value is in what it compels us to do, what fruit it produces in the life of the follower of Christ. And I think this is illustrated by God when he lays it out for us in James chapter 2, verse 17, this famous passage where he says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, just like James, Paul understood that a casual or, or lazy faith that was void of any emotion, or any enthusiasm, it would bear no fruit, and thus it would show itself to be no faith at all. But look at what our passage tells us the fruit of enthusiasm would be. In verse 11, it leads to us being in tune with the Spirit of God and serving Him. In verse 12, it's, it's that enthusiasm that allows us to rejoice in hope and to endure persecution by remaining faithful in prayer. Then finally, in verse 13, the zeal that we have will naturally result in a desire to serve others. There are obvious fruits in the spiritual life of the believer, as well as how the believer relates to the world around him. But notice the link that's set up here between the enthusiasm and the fruits. Perhaps it'll, it'll make sense to think of it this way. What if we tried to manufacture the fruits without the enthusiasm? What would that look like? Well, first of all, without a zeal for the Spirit of the Lord, our service to the Lord would become tiresome. It'd be a burdensome obligation. 
I think we've all seen this. We've all seen someone serving in this way before. Serving without the zeal for the Spirit of the Lord is nothing more than a job. That's when you'll get worn out and worn down. Maybe that's you. And then how are we to rejoice in hope through trials if we've not committed ourselves to enthusiastic prayer, constant prayer? Any hope that we may have at that point is probably just wishful thinking or or some form of self-reliance. It's not a steadfast hope in a Lord that will allow us to persevere. And then what about generosity and hospitality? What does that look like if it's not out of enthusiasm for the Lord? Why well, no, if it happens at all, it's probably guilt-driven, probably half-hearted, and at worst, it, it may result in just a stream of excuses about how we can't do more. See, Paul is driving home his point about enthusiasm, not just to whip the people up and get them excited, but he's doing it so that the people will do the very things that God has called them to do with a passion that actually produces fruit. The apostle Peter, he essentially goes a step further in describing this fruit. He, he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, he says this, "'Show hospitality to one another without grumbling.'" As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I can't help but wonder how much more enthusiastically we would serve one another if if we understood that service to be stewarding the very grace of God. What an amazing way to think about our zeal for good works. We are the recipients of God's good grace And how we steward that grace is going to come through and how we share it with others. And that's something we should be able to get excited about. This leads us to our last observation. That's that world-changing enthusiasm is not combative, it is cooperative. Now we just looked at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 9 and 10, but if you skip down a little bit to verse 11... He kind of identifies the overarching purpose behind all of that. He says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The end goal is God's glory through Jesus Christ. And if that's the aim, then our enthusiasm must be about those things that God has already declared of greatest importance. So let me remind you, it's something you've probably heard a thousand times. It's something you heard from this pulpit last week from Pastor Jim. What did Jesus say when he was asked about what commandment was the greatest? He says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now remember for a moment who wrote the letter to the Romans. It was Paul. And you know what? Paul, he knew what it was like to have enthusiasm and to be zealous for the law. That was his testimony before he met Christ, right? He was consumed with the passion for religious law, and it blinded him to the things of Christ. But when he writes here to the Romans, while you might think that since he's known how zeal can be misused, he might tell them, hey, be careful about your zeal. Hey, be careful about your enthusiasm. No, instead he commands it. 
Because what has he done? He's, he's not condemning it and advocating for a cold, lifeless faith. He's saying that he takes the zeal that was once combative, it was once hostile to anyone who would not yield, and he's reshaped it. He's reshaped it into a zeal for worshiping in spirit and in truth, which has as its fruit good works, service, and generosity. And rather than destroying the church, which was the aim of his former zeal, this type of world-changing enthusiasm would serve the Lord and his church. Now, to remind you, there's any number of issues in the world today that we could, we could have enthusiasm over, right? It seems everyone you meet, whether it's in person or online, is some sort of activist for some cause these days. And make no mistake, there, there are times that we must stand and fight for what's right. There's times that, that we pursue justice with zeal. But you know what? If that's, if that's all that we ever do, I think we're missing the point of world-changing enthusiasm. Right? We've missed the power because remember from our passage last week, there was this command in there, abhor what is evil, hate evil. And then he sandwiches that right between this command to let love be genuine and let, let us love one another. So just like the submissive love that Pastor Jim talked about last week, our enthusiasm, it can't merely be an excuse for us to advance our cause through inflammatory words or harsh treatment of others. It should be a force which compels us to lift one another up, to bring one another along so that God and God alone might be glorified. See, Paul knew exactly what misplaced enthusiasm had done prior to his conversion. But he had also witnessed world-changing enthusiasm through generosity, through hospitality, and he saw how that helped spread the gospel throughout the world. Once his zeal was redirected, he saw how the kingdom of God grew. So rather than advancing what he thought was a righteous cause through spreading fear, he was able to boldly follow Christ and empower others to do the same through rightly directed enthusiasm. There's a phrase that became popular once the, the pandemic lockdowns hit, and you probably heard this from many different sources. People would say, we're all in this together, right? And it was, you know, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great saying, it's inspiring, it's, it's talking about solidarity and standing together. Uh, but pretty soon as, as we started seeing this phrase used by some of the rich and the famous, people started to ridicule the statement, right? Sure, we're all in this together. Me struggling to put food on the table and wondering if I'm going to keep my job. You struggling to keep your yacht out on the water or your multi-million dollar home. We're struggling together. I get it completely, right? It was, it was ridiculed because it, it, it was shallow, right? So what would this look like from a biblical view? If I say we're all in this together, then I'm actively looking for ways that I can help someone else. It doesn't just mean we're all going through a similar situation at a similar point in time. It means I'm seeking to find ways that I can be generous. It's more than just helping without complaining. It's more than just giving out of a level of abundance. See, world-changing enthusiasm gives out of genuine love and it longs to help in a way that might require sacrifice. And that type of enthusiasm, that enthusiasm is not emotional. Right? That enthusiasm is not superficial, and it's certainly not combative. It's intentional, it's fruitful, 
It's cooperative. It's a zeal which allows us to be rooted in the Spirit of the Lord with a fire inside that compels us to serve the Lord and His people even as all the circumstances of the world around us try to rob us of our joy and of our hope. So I leave you with our passage this morning. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And church, I'm fully convinced if if we do these things, we will know the power of world-changing enthusiasm.